If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the studio, I'm with our good friend Ben Schiller. And Ben is a therapist who works at a, facil- a mental health facility in Byron Bay. He's studied psychology. He's in recovery himself. And he's, he was our neighbour for many years. And so in and out. Hi, Ben. How are you? Hi, Danny. Nice to be here. <laughs> I just was about to go on a rant there. <laughs> but um, just to give some background about our relationship with Ben, he was yeah our neighbour and I knew that he was in recovery. I knew that you were in recovery. And so when I was toying with the idea of giving up for 12 months, um, I, I would run that by Ben and, you know, and I was also quite sheepish too to say, now it's just 12 months, you know, it's not, you know, and you were like, yes, yes, that's all. And you were just so non-judgmental. Even when we were drinking, you were really completely non-judgmental and um, so easy to talk to, which is probably why you're a great therapist because you're relatable and you've been there yourself as, you know, you were quite a trash bag in your former life. <laughs> and I love those stories too because it was like, yes, you were a trash bag, <laughs> not just this puritanical therapist. So thanks for that honesty and for the being so non-judgmental. Could you tell us a bit about your story and your journey with alcohol and probably your lowest point? I'd like to hear about that and then what got you to getting on the road to recovery. Okay. Um, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, that was quite an intro, wasn't it? Fantastic initiative. I love that you're doing this, Denny. Um, my, my story with alcohol, I don't think I was really uh, that different to, to most other Australians for that, um, mm. for want of a better way to put it. Mm. Um, I drank, binge drank pretty heavily in my teenage years. Um, there were drugs involved, but nothing um, that I would 
classes um, addictive, you mm-hmm. know, like the, the behaviours weren't that addictive. Um, but certainly uh, in my mid-20s, uh, some mental health issues started to creep in and, and, I, and I managed that with alcohol. I started to mm-hmm. drink on my own mm-hmm. uh, midweek and, mm-hmm. and not vast quantities like I'm talking about. I'd come home from work and be feeling quite low and, and I'd drink a six-pack of beer and pass out and, and um, I didn't think much of it. I'd dip mm-hmm. in and out of those periods um, depending on you know, I'd, I'd move cities uh, and feel refreshed and and kind of excited. You know, a bit of depression would creep in again, and and sure enough, I'd I'd, I'd sort of sort of manage that with alcohol. But you know, I I'd, it progressed over the years. I, I relocated to England. I married an English woman. Um, we're separated now, but at, moving over there. I think um, it's a very similar drinking culture to Australia, um, probably more indoors, obviously, with the weather over there, but cocaine is obviously is also a large part of the culture um, living in London, and, you know, the two went hand in hand. I was really unhappy in the corporate job that I had held for many years. Um, I was working in the uh, financial sector, and... Yeah, look, it just it got to the point where I would I'd leave work and go to the pub, and invariably would order cocaine from the pub at lunchtime and um, spend the afternoon razzed up and uh, at back at work, and then I'd end up back at the pub. Um, often wouldn't make it home, mm-hmm. um, so and and be up all night. And you know, the long and the short of it, the lowest point was I'd lost my job. I was under house arrest. Um, due to a, a car accident that I'd had um, under the influence and um, my wife moved out and um, I was living on a couch and uh, the only sort of interaction I had with the outside world was with a dealer that, that was dropping off drugs and I'd lost my job and I'd probably had four or five months, I think, of just drinking and drugging. Wow. So, um, yeah, it was... It was uh, fairly putrid. Mm. <laughs> Thinking back on it now, um, but but it was it, you know I don't regret any of it. it. It was a place I needed to get to to come to to an understanding of the impact that alcohol was having on my life, and um, and at the end of the day, it was a place I needed to get to to make the changes I needed to make. You know, mm. um, and um, yeah, like I'm I'm forever grateful for being given the opportunity to make those changes i i went off to a a rehab over in england i spent six weeks in there and and you know that was and i haven't picked up a drink since so that was a bit over eight years ago yeah so going into rehab too when you came out and went back into normal life how how did you deal with that? Obviously, let go of the drug dealer, but other friends and triggers and things. Uh, look, it, it was tr- it was tricky. It was um, I felt I was highly anxious. Um, my my the part of my personality that is my addict, you know, like I've still got that part. By the way, I just don't give it alcohol and drugs anymore. So yeah, I was highly anxious. I came out. My addict was still there, still quite present, and and I shopped. A lot. <laughs> Shops. <laughs> you know, like I, I think I pointed my addict at, at exercise, at music, um, 
uh, at fun stuff, you know, like things that creative things that that I'd wanted to do for years, or 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 I'd pretended to do for years. Um, <laughs> and you know, getting back to your question, it, it was difficult. It was it was challenging, but I developed a routine, a daily routine that enabled me to manage the anxiety and manage the triggers. And you know, it, I, I won't lie, it probably took the better part of twelve to eighteen months to mm. to feel really settled. Um, People, like you mentioned, how was it with, with connections with people? The latter stages of my drinking, I, I, I wasn't in contact with anyone anymore. Like I'd, mm-hmm. I'd um, you know, I was very isolated. So um, I didn't feel like I needed to change my f- network of friends. Um, because they weren't there anymore. They weren't there. And, and all my old friends, to be fair, um, were right behind me and really supportive of the change. That's so fantastic. So. Actually, Lyndall, um, who I had, she's a, f- a very close friend of mine that you actually helped a little bit when she was really struggling um, talking to me on the phone about it. She was the same, that she was, she'd got to the point where her drinking had escalated so much that she was just isolating and just at home drinking because then she didn't have to explain it to anybody and she, you know, there was no judgments there and she could just do it in private. So that's... um. I could imagine that's a pretty sad place to be. Yeah, look, I think um, it is. It mm. is. It's it's not pleasant. Um, it's part of what alcohol does, like mm. it's uh, or or the extreme consumption of alcohol does, yeah. I should say. Yeah. Um, you know, like the the addict, the the part of us that is an addict um, loves loves it when we're isolated because because that's when it can really come out and and take control of our lives mm. um if if you have a part of you that is an addict and um yeah unfortunately yeah it's 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 quite devastating on people and at the end of the day what people are yearning for is connection and mm. um alcohol in large quantities cuts that off you know mm. like proper connection mm. you know like. absolutely um for, for, i wanted to ask you a question based on with your psychology background but the psychology behind binge drinking do you think there always has to be a trigger is there an underlying reason or a trauma that leads people to binge drinking or could it be just out of habit or is it a bit of both yeah good question um I would say probably a bit of both right invariably people use alcohol um like at the start, I think often people use alcohol as a stress relief or a way to have fun, mm. um, a way to connect with other people at barbecues or parties or whatever it might be. And um, however, uh, what 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 at the end of the day, what people are doing is they're numbing their emotions mm. via alcohol. Alcohol is a depressant. And um, whilst there's a, there's a bit of joy that or, or happiness apparently that comes in the early days, mm. um, it is a depressant. So generally, people that that use that on an ongoing basis haven't developed the ability to regulate uncomfortable emotions. So, say you've had a really stressful week at work, a healthy way to regulate those stress that that stress and the emotions that are associated with that would be to get on the phone and talk to friends or go for a run or get out in nature or meditate or do yoga. Um, you know, there's a, there's a variety of different tools or strategies that you can adopt mm. to regulate your emotions. So one of the drivers, I think, of binge drinking is, is, a, is a slight inability to regulate emotions, you know, to, to release stress in a, in a more natural way. Part of the question was, is, you know, does there need to be trauma? 
what we experience, which which wouldn't necessarily be PTSD like post-traumatic stress disorder, but we may experience complex trauma growing up. And, and that can quite simply be seeing rage in your house the household growing mm, up or mm. seeing seeing not seeing your parents express and process emotions in a healthy way mm. you know like um so so it's like i'm i'm not all that keen to to go go out labeling everyone as having mm. complex trauma but but at the end of the day I, I, it's what we see when we're growing up is what what we tend to model yeah. or mirror yeah so yeah it's definitely both of those like a, yeah. an inability to 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 pro- to process emotions and also invariably it's what people have seen growing up. Absolutely. I know in myself I grew up in a household there was serious addiction problems going on in my household and I um, would have probably modelled a lot of my behaviour off that rather than dealing with things covering it up with some kind of substance Mm. so yeah absolutely. What you were saying before about the connection like people wanting a connection or needing a connection. I'm reading this book at the moment Rupert Sheldrake's um, Science of Spirituality. Have you read that? No, no, it's, I don't it's know. It. Amazing book. You should check it out. As we've sort of gone on in time and um, industrialization and things like that, we are so far removed from nature. And like the fact that we can just flick on a light switch and it's boom, our house, house is lit up. And we don't often take time to reflect, you know, because if we weren't in a house, we'd be out, you know, with a fire and, and going, you know, more in rhythm with nature. And that we're so out of touch with that. And our children are really out of touch with that. Some kids don't even get out into nature. They're school and home and on on um, their screens or whatever. Like this morning I saw you on the beach and there was um, in the most amazing sunrise and these whales were breaching. They were coming up out of the water and this, whoa, you get this sort of this joy that comes, you know, when you see a whale jumping up out of the ocean. We're very lucky to live where we live. There's definitely that that as a society now we're so unconnected with our with what's around us and nature, each other. You know, we can't even have real relationships so much anymore because it's all social media based. And I feel that the more the longer we go on without a connection, particularly to nature and what's going on around us in our world, um, I just feel like people will be more and more numbed or looking for something, searching for something. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think like alcohol, um, it's interesting because often people when they get together will use alcohol as a, as a way of sort of lowering their anxiety mm. um, and, you know, having a bit of fun, you know. Mm. Like, but uh, at the end of the day, like if there's not authentic conversation or vulnerability in the conversation that you're, mm. that you're having whilst you're drinking, then um, you start to question, you know, like how, you know, how much is this benefiting me? Yeah, absolutely right. Like the technology age that we're in and we've been in for quite a while um, is disconnecting us from from nature and from authentic connection with each other. Mm. And um, and that's the fantastic part about moving away from mm. having alcohol as, mm. as, as, as a crutch or as a support, which is what it does. It, it often protects us from, from something, is that we can lean on, lean on nature, you know. We can mm. lean on our friends and we can start to develop a better relationship with ourselves and those around us. Yeah, absolutely. And I say this probably in every single podcast, but I can't um, drive it home enough for people that one of the greatest gifts I got from sobriety was true connection with people and the authenticity that comes along with it, with your friendships, without the bravado, without the without all that. It's just, just a real, a much more real connection. 
with yourself and with others. So it's that's one of the greatest things. Yeah, and I think um, like we don't embrace vulnerability a great deal mm. in, in society, and and I think that is what ultimately makes true connection is when mm. we can be vulnerable with each other. Like Danny, these are my fears. This is what I'm struggling with, or this is what I'm really proud of. I did I did this at work yesterday, mm. and it went really well. For example, you know, it doesn't all have to be about uh, fear and. Uh, uh, concern, but mm. um, at, um, to show vulnerability, you know, and yeah. like to to allow people in, you know, allow people to see us, and um, yeah, it's key. Yeah, absolutely. Even um, praising ourselves, I find that in Australian culture, you know, we tend to we don't like people that big note themselves or you know that talk about themselves too much or or brag. We see it as bragging. You know, if you're bragging about your achievements, it's very much underdog mentality sometimes. And I think. If people could embrace what they're good at or their own good qualities or talk about it more and their achievements and we celebrate that for each other, I think that would be really helpful too, you know, just to get on and say, I'm really good at this or I'm, I did really well at this. That tall poppy syndrome has always been, I think, a part of Australian Australian culture. But I, but I think that's, that's kind of what I might class as a lot of new money in Australia. Like there is, um, there is a lot of people that have, have done very well in a short period of time and, and with that comes a certain um, energy. <laughs> uh, where people place a lot of importance on that and and and, and that can be a little bit perturbing and um, um so 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 it's not you know like it's understandable that we we still have that tall poppy syndrome in our society but I, you're, you're absolutely right it comes at the cost of um someone being able to genuinely go look i i did this well yesterday and i felt fantastic mm. as a result of it and um um, but you know, like I think, with that said, we're having this conversation now, mm. and the more people get comfortable um, being able to be proud of what they're doing, mm. um, the less chance they're going to have of uh, needing to pick up alcohol to to, mm. to cover up the self esteem issues that are invariably part of the reason why they're drinking. Drinking in the first place, exactly. Yeah. You know, people. I had a message last week which was so beautiful from this lady saying that. She she's grateful for this podcast because she's not feeling so much shame around her drinking and that it's okay to talk about it. And so even the fact if you say I'm quitting alcohol, just being proud of that and owning that rather than seeing it as a shameful thing, oh, I drink, I drink too much and I can't control myself, just embrace it and go, yeah. That's I'm- so good. It's so good to hear that. Look, my father is a 70-year-old cattle farmer and – hard man like he's and I was on the phone to him last year and and he said to me uh, you know and I've done a bunch of things with my life I studied engineering I studied psychology and worked in all sorts of different areas and played sport when I was in my late teens pretty well and and he said Ben the thing I'm most proud of you is that you stopped drinking oh you know like yeah. and um uh, and he didn't say it that softly by the way but it was it was more <laughs> like i think it is absolutely something to be proud of it's 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 a difficult thing and 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 my heart goes off to anyone that even thinks about it not just does it but those that are thinking about doing it you know you it's 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 a one it's a fantastic gift that you're mm. giving yourself mm. but um, I think too, it it just it takes uh, a certain amount of inner strength to do it, and um, yeah, and I and I always applaud that. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, how would you like as a therapist? 
a lot of people probably want to know, how do you recognize if you've got a problem? When is it? Like I know with me, it was waking up, not remembering, you know, and, and feeling quite remorseful the next day. And I, that was the trigger for me to stop. How does someone know? Like there's a lot of self-talk too, before you give up, I find, oh, but I don't drink that much or I don't drink every day or. Good question. Um, look, I think it is dependent on the individual. The first indicator for me is not whether someone drinks every day. It's not whether someone drinks spirits versus beer or wine. Mm. It's more when they are drinking, can they stop? Mm. Mm. Okay, so you're three drinks in. Can you stop there? And mm. um, and and it, like there's there's a couple of different types of alcoholic, um, and one of them is is a binge drinker, and the others involve a lot more constant drinking. Mm. Um, but one of them is a binge drinker, and and a lot of people function at a very high level, are still able to hold down jobs, still able to run households to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> And and binge drink on a weekend or binge drink every couple of weeks. And however, I would still say to them, look, are you able to stop when you start every couple of weeks? And and if they say to me, no, I can't stop, then yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, it's absolutely. Problem. Yeah. And so, okay, recognizing the problem. Next steps. If someone wants to, then, okay, I need to give it a rest. Well, before, I think the, the, the other part of understanding whether it's a problem or not is... Um, you, you mentioned before you would wake up and you couldn't remember what would what had mm. happened the night before. Mm. I, I'd want each. I, I sit down with each person and go, all right. Well, what are the consequences of your drinking? What's happening to you emotionally? What's mm. the impact on your relationships? Is it impacting your work? Mm. Um, so, if someone has a really good idea, or understanding rather, of of what the impact of their drinking is. You know, it's one thing to go, oh, I can't stop but it's really important to reinforce the the problems that it's causing by digging into it and having a proper look at it so that that, that, they're the two things i tend to look at is Mm. can you stop and and what are the issues resulting from your drinking next steps um are talking with someone or making a decision around um whether they want to stop entirely or whether they want to have a go at controlled drinking um See, I try control drinking. I did it all. So drink between a drink of water between each wine only. I remember watching the clock, a friend, she's like, just drink one drink every hour, I think it was, or two. So I let myself drink whatever the amount was, maybe two an hour, watching the clock, waiting for it to tick around. Oh, then I did wine spritzes. There was like a little bit of wine and a bit of soda water. And I just drank more <laughs> over a longer period then. Yep. Um, so maybe the blackouts weren't as intense, but didn't really, yeah, nothing changed. Really. Yeah, look, I think the dependency is still there. Mm. Um, um, but what's, what's vital for me as a therapist is I never tell someone that they need to stop drinking. It's got to come from within. That, that person has to make the decision themselves. And... Um, a way for them to trust me is, is I don't lead them down a particular path. Invariably, I will say, you know, do you want to contr- do, do you want to look at controlled drinking or do you want to stop? And and to be honest, nine times out of ten, people say I need to stop because they know because they've had a look at the dysfunction that's resulting from their drinking and they're really clear. Um, yeah. Also, probably if they've they would have probably already tried that by the time they've gotten to therapy. <laughs> true. <laughs> a few true. Times. That's yeah. true. They, they do. Yeah. 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 I 
put out there last week on my Instagram. If anyone had any questions for you, because you're a professional, I thought it would be a good opportunity if anyone had questions. There was a few. So we'll try and get this into one question. But just how do you support your partner? If you're not a big drinker and your partner is, or you want your, or you're going sober and you're, you want your partner to come along with you, how to give them, well, I guess you just sort of answered that. It's got to come from them. Well, I think if you've decided to stop together, so there's two parts to this question, you know, like you may have a part, like if, if you've got a partner that's struggling with alcohol and they won't see the problems, um, it's very difficult. Like if, if someone's got drinking problems and they don't want to stop and, and a partner can, can see issues, um, generally what I advise there is, is definitely not to drink with the partner um, and start to set boundaries with their drinking. So, mm-hmm. okay, if, if we're going out, for example, can you please uh, limit your drinking to X amount of drinks? You know, this is the, these are pretty difficult conversations, by the way. Mm. Um, and, and if that doesn't work, then again, more boundaries need to be set. Mm. Um, it's quite tricky if, you know, in that initial period when people are coming to an understanding together as to someone needing to stop drinking or, or mm. cut back on it. If, however, both parties have made the decision, okay, I'm going to stop, I definitely recommend the party that doesn't have a drinking problem to stop for a while as well. It certainly makes it a lot easier for the person stopping and mm. um, they'll probably see the benefits, um, the, the benefits as well. Um, but to help the process as a couple, I mentioned looking at different activities, looking at connection. Um, the they they can join each other in those various activities. Mm. You know, you can go and exercise together. You can do creative endeavors or activities together, um, but also do it independently as well. But um, there's a lot of lot of benefit that comes from the partner joining the person giving up. Mm. Um, uh, in whatever it is that they're doing. It's certainly easier. I know with my own journey, once Ash, I decided anyway to take 12 months, you know, with his drinking, I would often say, why don't you just go to the gig, just have two, just have two drinks, have one before you start or when you start playing, have one and one when you finish. Or, And then that sort of sets up this scenario where that's easy for them to break that, for me to be disappointed, for them to be disappointed in themselves as well. So it's kind of destined for failure. So that's kind of tricky. When you decide to do it together, that's fantastic. But uh, one of my friends, she's just decided to quit and her partner is not quite there yet. So, you know, it would be difficult for sure because that was the beautiful thing about Ash and I is that we went on the journey together. So everything that we got into, the yoga and the meditation and this a lot of self-help stuff, the gratitudes, all that kind of thing. We were doing it together, so it was a really beautiful journey to be on together. So definitely it's great if partners can do it together, but I don't know – I would would have found it hard for sure if if Ash decided to keep drinking and and I did not. But I guess that you have to find your own inner happiness first and your own – you know. Yeah, and I think given, you know, if that's the scenario where I myself might have, might have stopped drinking but my partner didn't want to stop, what I would have done in that situation would have been set boundaries about alcohol in the house. Mm. Um, I'd probably <clears throat> um, limit the amount of alcohol in the house. And um, to be fair, like when I 
when I got sober, I, I, I go to AA and NA and um, I just went on my own. So I started to create a little bit of a routine that was mine and mine alone, separate from my then wife. And, um, uh, and that worked really well for me. It gave me a sense of understanding of myself, um, separate to the relationship. Um, it, it, don't get me wrong, my wife was super supportive. Um, but ha- had she not have been, um, I think that's, you know, and this does happen. Um, it happens a bit, actually, where, where the partner's not overly supportive of it. Um, unfortunately, you just need to push forward with your own routines. Um, keep boundaries in place and, um, and you know, like, uh, have faith. Have faith that you're leading the way and, mm. it, um, and it may just take a couple of months or a bit of time for, mm. for your partner to, to come to understand and see the benefits of it. Absolutely. Through yeah. you. Yeah. I know um, another friend of mine, she's been, want, she's been toying with it for a long time. She's a full-on binge drinker. Um, but her husband is a huge drinker, like a drink every night after work kind of thing, beer after beer after beer. Um, she also had a big health scare. So part of that health scare was, um, afterwards, you know, to try to cut out alcohol altogether. Um, but unfortunately she hasn't been able to maintain that because she feels like she'd have no connection with her husband if she was to stop drinking. She's like, well, if I stopped drinking, we'd have no marriage. I guess you've got to weigh up <laughs> what's more important, you know, your own self-worth versus that too. I mean, there's some hard questions in that and I guess it's all, yeah, you have to do what's right for you first and then as you say, you often can set a good example and just stick to your guns and do the best you can. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's really tricky um, mm. hearing that like a, uh, and a bit heartbreaking. Like it's very much uh, like a matter of weighing up how strong a relationship is if it's based on, on okay. that. You yeah. know, like, and look, some people will probably go into their 60s and 70s and 80s with r- retaining that, that type of connection and probably not going to comment on whether it's right or, or healthy or unhealthy. Mm. Um, but it's it's certainly up to the individual. If they've gotten to a point where they think they need to stop, then yeah, you you would you would have, need to have a pretty hard look at what your needs are in that relationship and if they're being met. Yeah, absolutely. So a few other questions came through. Um, a couple were if you were single. <laughs> two two women asked and one guy. <laughs> but that's for something that's for not probably not for a podcast conversation, but. Uh, anyway, another question that came through, this was interesting. A lady asked if you have an addictive personality, if you are replacing the alcohol with something else, say yoga or whatever, a a wellness type thing, and you become addicted to that, is that a problem or does that ever go or is it ingrained in you? Yeah, great question. Look, there's a theory, um, called voice dialogue, um, psychological theory and, um, Basically, human beings are made up of, a, uh, we have a personality structure and there can be, be between 10 to 20 parts of our personality. One of those parts, um, for those that struggle with uh, alcohol and substances, is, is an addict. You know, we'll call it an addict. Mm-hmm. Another part is just, just to help with some understanding of the theory. Another part is the critic. Another part is the perfectionist. Another part is the creative. Um, so... When we take the sub- take alcohol out of the picture, the part of our personality that is the addict is still there. Mm. <clears throat> it's really important that, that the part of our personality that is the addict has a number of different activities to get 
to get into. Yeah. Um, well, I think the trick with this question, or not the trick, but the, the nuance with the question is what's vital is not to just do one thing. So that's that's when dysfunction mm. or obsession starts to creep in is when right. we just focus on one thing. So mm. if you're, if you're, for example, if you gave up drinking and you decided to take up yoga and yoga only, there's a good chance that you're going to wake up in the morning and think about, the different classes that you're going to do. You're going to be thinking about what you did yesterday around yoga. (laughs) So like the the obsession, the the nature of the part of our personality that is the addict, it's obsessive. And um, what we want to do is allow that obsession to play out, but spread it across a couple of different Mm, things. mm. So as well as yoga, you might add in walks you might add in meditation you might add in um, doing something more humorous for Mm. example Um, you might add add in something creative as well but on some level it's kind of a gift Mm. if if you Mm. can steer your addict at healthy things and i say things i mean plural you can actually do a lot of good with it Oh, absolutely. That's so true. I know with Ash, he started, he decided he was going to become a phenomenal guitar player, which I already thought he was, but he, um, he wanted to step it up. So basically he was walking around constantly with just doing scales on the guitar. I was like, okay, that's, it's, that needs to stop. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to throw the frigging guitar through the window. Um, but then, yeah, he managed to spread it across. So initially he definitely had that one focus. We ended up doing a thing. It was, our musts we'd write down our musts every day so it was things that we had to do so he had things like he had to do 100 push-ups and he had to do 10 gratitudes and he had to do this and but it was really good it sounds a little regimented but it's really good if you get your if you do your musts it sort of sets you up it sets you up for this you know you're achieving things you're ticking off each day and it makes you feel good yeah and they were they were big for us Look, and, and it's, that's fantastic. Like a routine is, is quite vital. If you're part of our personality that is the addict, really struggles to sit still. You yeah, know, like, yeah, yeah. And you can calm that anxiety by having a routine. And, and don't get me wrong, like the addict part of us that is the addict likes change. So you might do three things one day and uh, do a different mm. couple of things the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, day in, day out, they wouldn't vary too much, but, but just so you don't get bored. Um, yeah, it's, it's having, having different things to do, um, and different goals and achieving those goals and recognize and recognizing that you've achieved those goals is, yeah, it's great. So it's, it's a, it's a big part of the, the beauty of not having alcohol in your Mm. system. Absolutely, and you can do those things. Yeah. As we we spoke a while ago about the concept of. I think you said in therapy you ask people if they don't know what they want to do, if they don't know what um, hobby they want to take up, or it's tapping into what you were into as a as a child, right? And yep. Yep. I loved when we talked about that last time, and I realised it was like a aha moment for me. It was as we get older, we tend to let go of that joy and the playfulness of what we're into as kids. And it almost makes me teary because I think of young kids and there's so much, they're in the moment and they're into what they're into and so much joy there. And as we get older and we have our own kids and our own family and responsibility, it's like all that gets pushed aside and that playful joyfulness that's in us, we lose sight of that, of that joy and what brings us joy. So to tap back into that. So I went horse riding recently. I grew up riding horses and I haven't ridden for years. And I just went out to Zephyr Horses here at Byron and 
I had the most joyful canter along the beach there at Tallow's Beach and then took the horse out into the water and cantered back along the beach again. And I felt so much joy and I tapped into this part of me that I haven't tapped into since, you know, I was a teenager and I felt amazing. I think that's so amazing. And when you said that to me a few weeks ago, that to tap back into something that you enjoyed as a child, go back along, go back to that. And um, that's really powerful. It, it is powerful, you know, like, and, and it's, and it's not complex. It's not complicated. It's just, mm. what did you like doing as a kid? Mm. You know, like, and don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting as a 45 year old, you go out and buy a set of matchbox cars, but there's some, <laughs> there's something about um, like esca- the escapism that we felt as kids that, that, and not just escapism, it's, 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 it's actually more just connection with what we're doing, you know, like, and I think one of the drivers of people abusing alcohol is um, the disconnection with themselves, you know, mm. like that's, that's, that's a resultant of abusing alcohol, but um, part of the reason why people need to use alcohol in the first place is that they're not able to connect with themselves. They're not able to go, hey, I'm feeling super stressed and a bit angry. What do I do with it? Mm. Um, it's like, hey, I'm feeling super stressed and really angry. I'm going to numb this. You know, mm. like, and what we're doing in that process is that we're we're disconnecting from ourselves. And um, part of part of part of doing therapy or, or or finding a new way is is really about reconnecting with who we were as kids. You mm. know, like, what was I like? What what did I like? Um, what brought me joy? And tapping back into that mm. in, in one way, shape, or form. You know, mm. like, and yeah, look, horse riding, fantastic. Mm. So, like, I got obsessed with surfing again and, and had years away from it and. Um, and that was fantastic. And, mm. um, and again, and other things like playing guitar and, mm. um, and just finding other ways also to have a proper laugh, you know, yeah. like I think, um, you know, connecting with friends that, that take the piss out of us, mm, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think a really, is a really important thing as well. So. Yeah. I know our level of self-importance sometimes is so high and that we're going to be so serious and we're like, just bring the fucking joy. <laughs> bring the joy back, people. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think I, I, probably just to be slightly more medically inclined, um, if someone's drinking, has been drinking very heavily for quite a period of time, um, it's vital that you go and see a GP to to explore the possibility of detoxing Mm. um um so there are you know like the body gets used to uh alcohol being in its system and and to remove it abruptly is a little unsafe um so there's certainly um i would advise someone doing that is Um, that more if you're an everyday drinker like if you're just someone that drinks every week or every couple of weeks yeah it's more if you're an everyday drinker if you're a binge drinker there's probably there's your body wouldn't struggle as much um but but if someone's an everyday drinker, yeah, that's there's a few precautions that need to be taken um, as part of the process of stopping. Yeah, when Linda was on, um, she was talking about her. Um, she didn't realize what it was at first, but she was having like anxiety attack type. She was having pains and tingling and sweats, and what she thought was anxiety turned out to be alcohol withdrawal. Yeah, and yeah. that's she had an everyday. One thing we noticed, one thing definitely with Ash, we call him Mr. Donuts in our house. He used to hate sweets. And then it's like the day that he quit, I don't know if it's this sort of this little treat 
in inverted commas, that he gives himself. And I got it too, and I blame him because I wasn't a huge sugar drinker, <laughs> sugar eater. Um, but now, yeah, and Mr. Donuts is still alive and well. <laughs> and I worry sometimes about, you know, eating too much sugar. I don't like to eat too much sugar. But um, what would you say? Because that seems to be really common. Why is that? What's with the sugar? The sugar content in alcohol is pretty mm. high and um, the body craves, often with the craving for alcohol, it's the sugar. Mm. So it's it's great if people can actually take in some sugar uh, in, in the months post giving oh, up. Ash, Ash will love that, <laughs> even <laughs> to, though it's been to years. A point, to a point. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, definitely. And, and look, I, d- I look, don't want to make it too hard, you know, like yeah. why, why not have a few treats if, if you're exercising mm. and you've foregone this thing that's probably been in your life for years. Um, it's, it's a fairly large shock to the system. And if you can soften that with a few donuts, then... Eat the fucking donut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, and, but it's, it's important. One of the questions before is, you know, can the addict come out and, um, and, and be pointed at other things like yoga? And, and it can certainly come out and point at things like sugar. So it's just one of those things to monitor. Um, what I think is really vital as part of giving up is is journaling on a daily basis as an activity. And when you journal, you're able to sort of uh, map your emotional responses. You can map your behavior, uh, behaviors that are occurring and start to adjust things mm. based on trends that you're seeing because um, – and, and if sugar intake is really high, you, you'll pick it up in a journaling process and um, you might not need to journal, you might be aware of it, but mm. um, but I think it's, it's pretty important that, that you're kind of in connecting with yourself. That's what journaling also provides, a connection with yourself. But ongoing high sugar intake certainly isn't healthy, um, but in the initial periods... I think it's okay. Eat the donut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eat the donut. <laughs> what about um, other substances? I know um, this is an interesting one. Like at night time, I take cannabis oil with THC, for example, to help me sleep. I'm certainly not doing it during the day. Now, a few people have said, well, you're not – like I said I'm giving up alcohol. <laughs> if someone wants to say microdose of mushrooms, do you think about that in terms of recovery? What's the rules, please? The rules, the <laughs> rules. Like the like if I was to be hard-assed and hard-nosed rather, um, like recovery is total abstinence. Like pu- pure Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous, um, it's total abstinence from all substances. What um, about painkillers and things? Uh, no, that's that's more if if it's needed, you know, it should they should be taken, right. um, but only if it's absolutely needed. Um, but I uh, look, you you can have. I was talking to a client yesterday. You can have someone that's in recovery from methamphetamine addiction, and they can still drink alcohol. You know, like, but they're not in recovery in its entirety. Right. You know? like, yeah. Um, I have a, like I know someone from years ago who used to be a heroin addict and, and they're able to, to drink alcohol now. Um, so I still see her as being someone that's recovered from heroin addiction. Mm. Um, but, but recovery in its pure form um, is, is total abstinence. Mm. And, um, but again, it, it, it comes back to the individual as to what, you know, they can choose um, what what it is that's causing the problem, mm. um, and and make a decision as to what what whether they want to keep everything out of their system or just that thing. Um, for me personally, I can't have anything in my system. My mm. addict is so strong. Um, if I started taking cannabis oil, I know I'd eventually end up 
picking up cocaine and alcohol again. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah, see, I've never, with the cannabis oil and things like that, I've never had, like I wouldn't probably even smoke a joint. Okay. But so I see it as... Maybe with the cannabis oil is not a great example, but, but if no, I but was to smoke a joint, I, I would absolutely end up picking up again the, the, the substances yeah. that cause me all the problems. It, it, sure, you, I might have some, some oil to help me sleep, but, it, but if I'm wanting more then yeah, there, there it is. It's mm. a problem. As soon, like I said to a client recently um, who didn't think they had an alcohol problem and I was like, okay, cool. You go and have a couple of glasses of wine and mm. if you can stop it too, good. Maybe mm. you don't have a problem. And she next time, the next time I spoke to her, she said, yep, you're right. I couldn't oh, stop wow. it too. So, so it's when we want more, you know, yeah. like that's always an indicator. But, but, but know that the addict is cunning yeah, and powerful, and if if we, uh, we you just have to have a lot of self awareness around whether um, something is is becoming problematic, because um, yeah. the the addict will find a way to sneak back in. Oh, it's uh, a sneaky it bugger, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is very. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ben, thank you so much for coming in and giving us your time. Thank you, you're amazing. Um, just lastly, if you could talk to eighteen year old Ben, what would you say to him? What advice would you give? that guy um oh look a lot of the, a lot of my drinking and and drugging was based on the fact that i was unhappy because i didn't follow my heart mm. you know like um i did what i thought my parents wanted me to do and mm. what you know I, I followed a career path that sort of in meant I was going to be successful like on a financial level and I didn't like what I was doing I didn't follow my heart and I I didn't yeah and I just I just would say to myself be be true to yourself you know Mm. like do do what you really want to do in life Mm. um yeah how do you feel now do you feel fulfilled as absolutely like I I changed careers I'm doing a job that I absolutely love I I have fantastic relationships. I I, 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 I like who I am today, you know, mm-hmm. like and that's a that's a vast contrast to to what it was like eight years ago, you know, what I was like eight years ago. Yeah. So. Well well I didn't know that guy, but this guy is awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Daddy. Thanks for coming in, Ben. All right. Bye. Thanks. Mother's Day is just around the corner, and it's time to pamper the special moms in your life. In what better way than with Osea's limited edition skincare sets, featuring clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. 
Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been making seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. This Mother's Day, Osea has two limited-edition sets, perfect for gifting or keeping for yourself. Their Golden Glow Body Set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for silky, smooth, glowing skin, while the Glow and Go Facial Set has everything she needs to achieve spa-level results at home. They're so beautiful, you can skip the wrapping. For a limited time, you can save up to $48 on Osea's sets, plus get free shipping. That's Mother's Day made easy. Pamper the moms in your life and get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOM at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code MOM.